You're listening to Cross Life, the college ministry of Grace Bible Church in Bozeman, Montana. Our current series is Imago Day, a study of how the character of God impacts your daily life. When we talk about relationships, it's the elephant in the room. If you're not talking about it, you're probably thinking about it at this point. Dan just got engaged. Uh, there's people here from all different stages in dating and thinking about dating and all these kinds of things. Where does this come from? Well, I want to submit to you, it comes from the fact that God is a relational God. Okay, a few weeks ago, we studied the Trinity. The Trinity. We found out that from all of eternity's past, God has set the perfect standard for relationships, having existed in perfect harmony for all of eternity's past. All of eternity's past, God is in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. And he prays in John 17 that we would exist in perfect harmony. God is the God of relationships. So if that's his request for us, how do we do that? That's the question, isn't it? If God is the author of relational things, including sex, marriage, singleness, how do we do that? How do we dwell in harmony? Harmony, there's an interesting word. What is harmony? How do we dwell in harmony? The answer is we look to God because he is our example. Uh, If you're here for the first time tonight, You'd be surprised to know we're in the middle of a series called, it's not up there yet, but Imago Dei. <laughs> Imago Dei is our series. It means image of God. The fact is we are made in the image of God. Genesis one twenty seven says he made us in, our, in his image. And as such, we have some of the same desires that God does. That is, we desire relationships. At least something in us does. I believe ever since the Enlightenment, or at least around that time, I like to blame it on it, we've become more autonomous. We've become more isolationist. We've become more by ourselves. Uh, People used to dwell in colony life. They used to depend on one another. We're able to be, at least we think we're able to be, more autonomous today. But I'm going to submit to you again, like I have time and time again, this is a false autonomy. Uh, You can't be a Christian and John says, if you're a Christian, you, you love the people of God. You enjoy spending time around the people of God. But there's this autonomous, there's this isolationist in our culture. I don't believe that's from God. Working in college ministry, guess what the number one question deals with? It's this. Week in, week out, time and time again, this is the elephant in the room. But listen, this topic is so so important. I'm glad it's a hot topic. I'm glad it's the number one question. Why? Because this is an area where the church is called to look radically different than the rest of the world. Radically different. There's areas, uh, many areas, if not every area, that that the Christian church, the body, ought to look different. But here's an area that ought to look radically different than the world. There's no sin, listen, there's no sin that I don't think is taken down, drugged around, beaten up so many people as the sin of sexual immorality, self-focused sexual immorality. I believe your biggest war in the next 50 years isn't going to be against drugs and alcohol. I believe your biggest struggles, your most dangerous vice isn't going to be violence. I'm convinced it's not one of those things or nearly any other sin, but that of self-centered sexual sin. If you want to live a holy life, this is going to be something that you wrestle with, that you war against. Fortunately for us, Scripture deals with it. Scripture deals with it. Well, tonight I want us to see how practical Scripture is. It deals with this issue. 
The Bible tells us that it's sufficient for these things, for anything, really. But also, however, uh, as I've told many of you, Scripture doesn't lay some down, excuse me, it doesn't lay down some dogmatic three-step approach to dating. Uh, it doesn't say do it exactly this way, but it does give us principles. If you want to use fill-in-the-blank process, praise God. If you don't, praise God. But He does give us principles. He does give us do's and don'ts that go along with this. I put up here just some books, and I'm not going to go through them. All these first two are ones that my wife has read. Uh, my wife's Brooke. She's sitting down here. If you don't know me, I'm Tanner. These are books. Uh, if you want to look at them afterwards, I think they're helpful. Joshua Harris, not even a hint. He's up on that movie. He's got to be good, huh? Okay. What's the difference? Piper on manhood and womanhood. Passion and purity. Uh, Boy Meets Girl. Uh, the Meaning of Marriage. Good books. Healthy books. I haven't read them all but I've heard they're good. No, I know they're good because they come from recommended sources. Why do I say that? Well, because you're not going to find a a process. Tonight, we're not going to talk about a program or a process or a method. We're going to talk about principles. Principles that are helpful, but that aren't dogmatic. There are some things that are dogmatic, but there's others that aren't. Uh, This might not be a lesson the, the lesson that I've given that has, is just dripping with theology, that's just saturated with uh, things that make you go, hey, I don't understand that, or I, I wonder about that. But it will be, by God's grace, based on the principles of His Word. 1 Corinthians 6. Why don't you go there with me? Hopefully you have a Bible with you. If you don't, get one, look on with your neighbor, grab one in the uh, holder in front of you. 1 Corinthians 6 is going to be our text that guides us through this. This is such an enlightening text. I pray that this would encourage your heart, uh, convict your heart as it has done me as I've studied again. We tend to think we're in a time and a period and an era and an epoch, however you want to say it, where sexual sin or sexual uh, things are at an all-time high. That's not really the case. Okay, there's nothing new under the sun here. We uh, are at a time where, yes, things are in our face. They're out in front of us. They're around but listen, the Corinth church, the time of Christ, wasn't any better. I must admit to you, in some ways it was worse. While maybe there's more access now, or maybe there's more exposure now, it was so exposed then. There was so much access then. There was temple prostitutes. This was running rampant. So the problem is not new. And for context, let's start in verse 9 through 11. Says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Here's a list of major moral sins. It's not exhaustive, but it is a large list of moral sins that characterize the unsaved world. They characterize the world. All these things may not be true of every person, but these are things that characterize the unsaved world. And Paul reminds them when he says, such were some of you. What does he mean when he says that? Here's the idea, that no Christian can be characterized by these things. These cannot be a habitual state of life for a Christian. 
As with any other sin, there's no permanent power to overcome apart from the power of the gospel. Okay, so this isn't just moral reform. This is gospel-powered change. You were enslaved to these things. Now you're not anymore. So if you are saved, you've come to reckon with the fact, uh, with all these things that we've been talked about before. You've, you've repented of your former life. You've turned away from these things. If you haven't, the first step for you tonight, before you can listen, before you can dive into the rest of this lesson, is this. You need to be washed. You need to be sanctified or set apart. You need to be justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. This list doesn't characterize the people of God. Now, can the people of God struggle with these things? Can they war against these temptations? Yes, very much so. But you will not be ruled by them. Christ has set you free from the power of sin and of death. If someone is characterized by these things, if this is a way of life for them, it may be evidence that they're not really a child of God. Let me be very honest with you there. There's a difference between being characterized with these things and being okay with these things and warring against these things or battling against these things. Okay? If you're battling against these things, praise God. If you struggle with the sin of homosexuality tonight, but you recognize that that uh, is an affront to God, and you're working, you're repenting, you're, you're moving towards Christ-like conformity, if you're struggling with the sin of uh, any of these things, of sexual immorality, of, uh, of a swindler, of someone who's covered, or someone who's a drunkard, someone who's drunk a lot. Okay, this is a list. There's not levels of these sins, but if you're struggling with these things, turn to, turn to Christ. Verse 12, here's where we're going to go. Verse 12, all these things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul says all things are profitable, and he's probably quoting the Corinth church here. This is probably a slogan that the Corinthians have given him. <clears throat> Paul's been interacting with them. This is probably something he's heard them say. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. Here's what they're saying when they say that. I hope you understand that. They're making an argument. Sex is for the body. The body's for sex. It's a merely biological thing. This is why God has created us. Or if they believe that God had created us at all. It's a, it's a merely biological thing. It may have come from um, something called philosophical dualism where they believe that the spirit was removed and that it was a holy thing and the body was, things of the body were um, removed from that. So they were separating these things and they're saying, listen, this is merely biological. It's okay to do. And things haven't really changed that much, have they? I mean, think about it. Is this not the argument today? Sex is biological. It's merely physical. It's a physical act. It's something that we do. But Paul says God will destroy both one and the other. Your body is not going to last in heaven. If we do eat, if we do eat in heaven, it doesn't appear that it will be for nourishment. These things, Paul says, are going to pass off the scene. And so Paul says, here's a better way to say this. The body is not for porneia, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, or the body is not for sexual immorality. That's a word he uses. Pornea. It's not for those things. We ought to use our bodies and the power in them to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord. Our physical giftings, our physical powers, our abilities. What are your giftings in this room tonight? This is a group of a lot of people here. What, what has God given you to do? How can you use that gifting to serve the Lord? Paul says, the body for the Lord, the Lord for the body. Can you use it to run slides? Can you use it to mop up uh, spills in the cafeteria? Can you use it 
to serve the body in some way. God has given you gifts. He's given you your body. Why? Not for porneia, Paul says, but for the Lord. There's so many giftings. There's so many giftings. Why not use them somehow? On the soundboard upstairs, uh, seating people, passing things out. Why not use them somehow in the church? Whether it be this one or uh, if you go to a different one, use them for the Lord. Verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take, take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul says, may it never be. He uses the strongest negative that he can use here. May it never be. Why? He says, let's be reasonable. If your body is a member of Christ, then how can we take the body of Christ and do something that will dishonor him? Would anyone intentionally take the body of Christ and unite it with a prostitute? You say, that's outlandish. That's the argument that Paul's making. Let me define prostitution, sexual sin. Paul's not talking about um, a prostitute in Vegas or at the Corinth uh, temple or wherever this is. Sexual sin is prostitution. It's harlotry against God, plainly put. Okay? Paul says, how can we do that? Think of this quote often. I don't know who said it. I couldn't find a source to it, but I've heard it said often. It says this, sin will take you farther than you want to go keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you ever want to pay. If you're here tonight, you know that. I know that. Paul wants us to understand how serious this issue is. Paul's helping us to understand there's a bigger issue at stake here. Verse 16, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Paul's quoting out of Genesis 2.24. You should be one with Christ. He says, you're making yourself one with a prostitute? How can you do this? It's more than just sex. There's a deep emotional, spiritual, physical connection here. The two stop being one. Excuse me, the two stop being two and become one. Let me read to you a quote from a book by Tim Keller. It says this, Sex makes you feel deeply connected to the other person even when used wrongly. So unless you deliberately disable it or through practice you numb the original impulse, sex makes you feel personally interwoven and joined to another human being as you are literally joined. In the midst of sexual passion, you naturally want to say things like, I will always love you. Even if you're not married, you'll find yourself feeling things feeling marriage ties, feeling like the other person has obligation to you, but that other person has no legal, social, or moral responsibility to even call you back in the morning. The incongruity leads us to jealousy and hurt feelings and obsessiveness if two people have sex but are not married. It makes breaking up vastly harder than it should be. It leads many people to stay trapped in relationships that are not good because of a feeling of having somehow connected themselves. And I'm going to submit to you, this isn't just sex as we think of sex, but sexual sin. These sins, of sexual sins, create a bond. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You've been joined to the Lord. The argument, again, that Paul puts forth here, it goes beyond simple do's and do nots. It's giving tremendous reason why this sin has to be unthinkable. So now what? Verse 18, 
Flee sexual immorality. Paul doesn't say just sex, but sexual immorality. Broadens it out. Run, hide, get away. Flee. I think there's a tremendous example of this in the Bible that I think of often. I want you to go back with me to Genesis. Way back to the beginning in Genesis, go to chapter 39. Hopefully this is going to help us see what fleeing looks like. It says this in verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian of the officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man. I'm not going to read all of this. I want to skip down to verse 6. But here's where we are. Joseph uh, is in. He's doing well. The Lord's really blessing him. Uh, verse 5, it came about that from time to time uh, that Potiphar made him overseer in his house, all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian house on account of Joseph, and the Lord's blessing was upon him. Verse 6, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So Joseph has it pretty darn good, doesn't he? Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was a good-looking guy. Verse 7, it came about after these events that his master's wife looked at him with desire. And she said, lie with me. Lie with me. She's trying to seduce him. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house and has put all things that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has not withheld anything from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against my master? No, that's not what it says. How could I sin against God by doing this? Same argument Paul is making. Verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. None of the men in the household were there inside. Danger. Danger is mounting. Verse 12, she caught, she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Why is this such a tremendous example for us? Because Joseph doesn't fool around. He flees. He runs. He gets out of there. Run, friends. You've got to run like you would out of a burning building when you come in contact with these circumstances. Um, pornography, homosexuality, sexual sin, covetousness, all these things are hitting you on the visual and mental scene constantly through TV, through internet, through magazine, through advertising read to you something that Pastor John Piper says. He says, It astonishes me how many Christians watch the same banal, empty, silly, trivial, tintillating, suggestive, immodest TV shows that most unbelievers watch and then wonder why their spiritual lives are weak and their worship experience is shallow with no intensity. If you really want to hear the Word of God the way He means it to be heard in truth and in joy and in power... Turn off the television Saturday night and read something true and great and beautiful and pure and honorable and excellent and worthy of praise. Then watch your heart unshrivel and begin to hunger for the Word of God. This isn't simply a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of worship before our Lord and our God. 
I believe at the root of the apathy, the complacency, the all-around lack of anything supernatural in men and women, and listen, often in my own lives is this. This lies at the root. We must, we must keep this ever before us. Trash in, trash out. Matthew 5.27, Christ gives us a tremendous example of radical amputation. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Serious words he uses. What does he mean? Does he mean that if I sin with this eye, I should literally pluck it out and toss it from me? No, but the idea is there of radical amputation. You must get rid of things. There's those of you in this room who have taken a hammer to your laptop because it's binding to you in sexual sin. You must do what it takes. You must do whatever it takes. Every other sin, Paul says, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. All sin is a big deal. All sin is deserving of death. But Paul says, look, you're mutilating your own body and soul here. Why is this a big deal? Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is what? A temple of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? We established a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is God. Your temple is a Holy Spirit. Your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. What happens at conversion? What happens when somebody really genuinely turns to Christ? Does Christ come and live in your heart? No, but the Holy Spirit does. You're indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to help you understand why this is a big deal. Remember, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Society, the world says, food for the body, the body for food. You're a biological being with animalistic passions. Engage in them so far as it fits the protective parameters of the law. God says, wait. Wait. Why? That's a question we all want to ask, isn't it? Why? Why wait? Why do these things? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I want to read one that I think is a tremendous way to put it. I'm going to read another quote to you because I think uh, Brad Bigney puts it better than I could. He says, why? God is not against sex. He's concerned that you'll experience he's not concerned that you'll experience too much. He's concerned that you'll experience a truncated, shrunken, pathetic imitation of his glorious original design. That you'll pay way too much for it and get way and get far too little in return for it. Do you see what's going on here? This isn't a cosmic, as someone has said, the cosmic killjoy. God doesn't just say, no, no, no. He wants more for you than this. Not some truncated, shriveled up version of this. Can you deny yourself the simple things like caffeine or sugar or that movie you want to watch or checking Facebook, things that aren't necessarily even sinful? Every time you sit down at your desk, the simple things of self-discipline just lead into bigger things. Bleeds into every area of life. Let's go to chapter 7, verse 1. Let's forget there's even a chapter break here and let's go on. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Or maybe your version says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Here's the idea. Not just to touch her, but to have sexual relations with her. Anyone ever heard of Lark News? Lark News? Okay, if you haven't, here's the idea. Let me explain this before I read this story to you so you can understand. Lark News is a Christian uh, national inquirer. 
It's a, it's a Christian fake news website. Okay, so the story I'm about to read you is fake, and it's illustrative, and it's kind of funny. John and Darla Crocker, who dutifully abstained from sex during their 14-month courtship, have, just re- have remained abstinent after marriage and plan to do so indefinitely. If it was holy before, it must be doubly holy afterwards, Darla says. They have now completed 25 months of marriage without any sexual contact, going about their normal lives and jobs and social calendar with no hint of relational strain. Sometimes after dinner, they will kiss in the kitchen and start having bedroom thoughts. Darla says, but they never fail to pull back. Darla breaks away to spray cool misted water on her face, and John eats a whole raw potato to take himself out of the mood. (laughs) They don't know when they'll finally break the pledge, and they feel no pressure to. After abstaining for so long, a few extra years is nothing, says Darla. Of course, we don't want to lord it over other people who decide to have sex after marriage, but for us, it's about staying faithful to the abstinence message and the holiness involved with that, says John, who seems unbothered. For us, true love waits and waits and waits. (laughs) Is this what Paul means? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He can't be saying that because look at what the very next line says. We've been talking about the don'ts. Let's look at some do's. Verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except for perhaps by agreement for a limited time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This passage is so helpful, I hope, to you. What is the will of God for your life? 1 Timothy 4.2 says it's that you get saved. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says it's that you get sanctified. Paul's talking especially in 1 Thessalonians 4.3 about this area, but sanctification in general. I'm going to submit to you the will of God for your life is marriage. So what do you say? The will of God for your life is marriage, except in the case of celibacy, which has never been the norm. You say, well, you're just a newly married man, Tanner. You would say that. You're still Twitter-pated. You're still wrapped up in it. You would say that. I want to be careful here. Don't misunderstand me. Neither singleness nor marriage is more holy or spiritual. And trust me, there was times where I thought they were. There's times where I thought, I'm going to be single because it's holy. And there was times where I thought, everyone needs to get married right away because it's the best thing. Paul's saying neither, neither is an elitist thing. Neither is more holy. I'm going to say this, a note to the young women, because I know that this can be particularly difficult for you as I say this. I know it's not easy to, to feel like you're, you're waiting. Uh, I, I can't say I sympathize with you because I'm not a woman. I can say I understand, at least in part, because I have a wife. I, I know it's not easy to feel like you're waiting around patiently, But while I'm on the one young women, let me say this. While you're waiting, honor the Lord, serve the Lord, cover yourself up. Honor your brothers in Christ. Honor the body by covering yourself. 
by dressing in a way that pleases the Lord, by not enticing someone. I, I know I'm hitting some nerves tonight. I'm aware of that, and I'm not pleased. Don't, I'm not doing that intentionally. But I know this, the Spirit of God and the Word of God, these are sensitive topics, but they're real topics. And I, I don't want to shy away from this. I'm aware that if some of you, you, you're, you don't know Jesus, you're curious, you came in tonight, or if you've never come to Cross Life, you're thinking, what is this lunatic talking about? The Word. Okay, God has set up a plan in here for us. And it's good. This isn't some sort of suffering, pull back the, the joy thing. It's full joy. It's full and complete. It's real joy. It's not some fabricated thing that the world has drummed up. And by God's grace and, and to my own shame, I can speak to experience both of those ways. This is a real thing. I told you a lot about what not to do with your body. Here's some things we should do, that we ought to do, that we ought to do with our body. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.22. Excuse me. There's a lot of twos in there. 2.22. And it says this. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Same idea there, right? Flee from youthful lust. Flee from these things and do what? doesn't just say flee. tells us what to do after that. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In the meantime, what do I do? Grow and pray and read and, study and pray that you become more like Christ. Slowly and surely as God grows you, press on in righteousness. Press on in faith. Press on in the fruits of the Spirit. It's worth the wait. It's worth it to do this well. God blesses sex, and I'm so grateful that it's part of marriage. But d- be careful. Just be careful. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Here's some questions to ask yourself before pursuing Marriage. I put these down. These are not inspired at all. I just wrote these down, put them in some different categories. I'm not going to go over all of them. You can read some of them on your own. How's your money management going? Do you have a job? Men, can you live independently from your parents? Do you understand the difference between love as a choice and love as an emotion? How are your communication skills? Are you ready to have a child? How's your spiritual disciplines? Do you understand the difference in gender roles in a relationship? Are you committed to serving and contributing to a solid local church? Now, is this a checklist for you to go through and give yourself a 1 through 10 grade on? No, not at all. Okay. The reality is, is that I believe often young men are ready before I think they are, or even before they think they are, if they're headed in a positive direction. Okay? It's not about perfection, it's about progression. It's about headed in the right way, the right direction. So do you have to have all these things perfectly outlined? No, not at all. But these are some helpful things for you to ask yourself. Before we close, let me address a question. How far is too far? That's what we want to know, isn't it? How far is too far? Well, you're in 2 Timothy. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, because I think this is helpful in addressing this question. First of all, let me say this. I asked the question, 
Now I'm going to dive into the question. I think it's the wrong question. Okay, it's the wrong question. The question is not how close can we get to the line of sin, but rather how far can we stay away? How much can we look like Christ in the relationship rather than teasing and tantalizing ourselves? But this text gives us help. Verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appear to appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger women as sisters. In what? All purity. In all purity. What is this saying? I believe the Bible defines two types of relationships. Two types. Marriage, in which sex is celebrated, protected, commanded, and even seen as worship. Family-type relationships, in which sex and sexual relationships are illegal, illicit, dangerous, disasterly, and maybe even damning if this is the way of life. Bible gives us two types of relationships. I want to say that, again, not dogmatically, but I want to give you something to think about. If you wouldn't do it with your brother and sister, I want to encourage you to be careful about doing it with someone that's your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. And if you are doing this, if you are actively engaged in sexual morality and sexual sin, I understand in a room this size, it's a very real reality. Seek help. Seek counsel. Seek a brother and sister out. Ask them. Talk to them about these things. This isn't an anti-fun raid. This isn't an anti-joy raid. It's just the opposite. It's not a calling for moral reform. It's a calling for conformity to Christ, for honoring the, the temple that is your body in which the Holy Spirit dwells. This verse talks about family-type relationships, and so I want to touch on this briefly too. At, at Cross Life, uh, there's guy-to-guy. We've talked about guy-to-girl relationships a lot. What about guy-to-guy relationships and girl-to-girl relationships? Fact is, most of you spend time around the same gender, probably. How is that going for you? What's that like for you? Are you able to love and support and speak truth into your brother's, your fellow brother's life or your fellow sister's life? It's something I, I hear uh, from time to time that just breaks my heart, to be honest with you. Here's the, they come and they say, I came to Cross Life, no one talked to me, I left, no one was friendly there. And I, I want to say that uh, because of our introverted self and our autonomous self, that is often true. That is the reality, is that it is very easy to just talk to the same people, to hang out with the same people, to do the same thing that you always do. I get that. Uh, I, I see that in my own self. So I want to encourage you in your guy-to-guy relationships, get to know other guys, encourage other guys, and have close guy friends and close girlfriends. Now I want to turn this over a little bit. And I'll speak very gently, but fully into this. If you come to Cross Life and you don't talk to anyone and you go out the door, take some responsibility on your own shoulders too. Okay? come here and I know, I get that it's uncomfortable lots of times, right? To walk up to somebody you don't know and to just introduce yourself and be like, hey, I'm Bob. What's your name? Oh, really? What are you studying? Okay, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, I get that that's hard. But I'm asking you to put yourself in difficult situations, difficult circumstances, to stretch yourself, to regard, to have this mind in you that was also, regard others as more highly than yourself. So if you're coming here and just saying, man, what a group of introverts, probably, yeah. But, 
be a part of changing that. Be a part of reaching out to the people in your class, to the people at your work, those kinds of things. Start becoming the man or the woman that you desire to be that's fit for marriage. You're never going to get there. I'm not there. I recognize that. But by God's grace and with my brother's help, I'm growing slowly, slowly and painfully. But if you're headed in that direction, let's go. Let's go. You want to go? You want to come? Let's go. (laughs) You want more accountability? Get in a community group. You want to talk to someone about these things? Get around brothers. Don't, I I get the, the, I could have been a really good hermit. After I graduated from college, I was so tired. I had this cabin picked out in the mountains. I took a picture of it. It was about the size of this square here. (laughs) And I was going to take all my theology books and go up there and live by myself for a long time until I read them all. And I realized that is not God's desire and design for my life. He's called me to be around the body, to have people sharpen me, to have people speak into my life, to rebuke me, to talk to me, to love me, to to sharpen me. Talk to someone. Talk to someone. If you're anxious about this relationship thing, give it some time. Observe how the person you're watching reacts around other people. How are they in relationships? They'll change when they know that you're pursuing them. Get to know other brothers and sisters in and around here. Men, let me just say this. You're called to be the risk taker. Don't ask a woman to step out and take a risk in a relationship that you first haven't taken, that you haven't paved the way for, that you haven't been vulnerable about yourself. You are the risk takers. You put yourself out there in ways that are uncomfortable. So she doesn't have to. Or at least it's a little less uncomfortable when you kind of. I get that it's uncomfortable, but put yourself in in the risky situation as the man. I wrap this up. Don't fool around with opposite sex, with pornography, with sexual sin. Again, it'll take you farther than you ever wanted to go. If you have to cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, take seriously, take seriously the steps to make war, to remove these vices from your life. And in closing, take hope. Take hope we serve a merciful and a wonderful God. Take hope. First John 2, 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. I recognize there's not a person in here tonight that is free completely of sexual sin in this world on this side of eternity. Do you know what? Paul writes these things that you, that you would be pressing on towards that goal, that you would not sin. But he does say this, if you do sin, and you do, remember you have an advocate. Go to Christ. Don't bask in your guilt. Don't get beat up and heavy laden down with these things. Go to Christ. Remember he's your advocate. Micah 7.19, he will again have compassion on us and will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's our God. Second Peter 3.1 Moreover, you've given them here. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's given you everything that you need. Be encouraged. You have the equipment. If you're a believer in the Son of God, you have the Spirit, you have the Word, you have the body. Press on. He has made you an overcomer through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Sexual sin can be overcome. Isaiah 55, 7. 
Let the unrighteous man uh, forsake his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. Let him forsake his way. Let him turn from his thoughts. He will have compassion on him. And to our God, the verse ends this way, he will abundantly pardon. That's our God. He will abundantly pardon. That's why Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires that which is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit which is contrary to the sinful nature, they're in conflict with one another so that you do what you do not want. So that you do what you do not want. I want to suggest that you take a minute to reflect on the questions you have in front of you on a sheet. If you don't have a sheet, raise your hand, I'll get you one. Take some time to think about these things. I know we've covered a lot. We have no, by no means covered everything. This is by no means meant to be exhaustive but it's meant to to be a survey, to give you a start, to be a catalyst, to help you think practically, biblically, scripturally about these things. Once you take a minute to do that, we'll have the band come up. Once you choose one discipline or goal by God's power you intend to start working on tonight. Tonight. Father, thank you so much for being able to sing It Is Well With My Soul. I think about the things my own life and the lives of people I know that would make us say it is not well with our soul. And yet we know because of Christ, because of your mercy, because of your grace, we can say it is well. It is well with my soul. Lord, I want to beg on your mercy on us tonight that we would grow in Christ-likeness, that we would grow to look more like him, that your body would be sanctified, that she'd be built up, that she'd be moving towards Christ-like conformity. We'll pray for those here who are still dead in sins and trespasses, who don't know you, who maybe think this is wildness, that their eyes would be open to the truth of the gospel, that you'd call them to repentance and faith, that you might do a great work, that you might do a great work in this valley and call many to you, Lord, many to you. Pray as we go from here that we would have the aroma of Christ in our paths. Would we think more like Him, talk more like Him, walk more like Him? We ask in the precious name of Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cross Life. Feel free to share this recording with others, but please do not charge for it or alter the contents in any way. For more recordings or other information about Grace Bible Church, visit gbcmt.org.